Welcome back to the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated home for all Alabama Crimson Tide news and information. I'm your host, Tyler Martin, and I'm joined for our monthly recruiting roundup by Director of Football Recruiting, John Garcia, Jr. Uh, John, how are you doing, man? You hanging in there? I know it's Labor Day. It's going to be Labor Day weekend. Football's upon us. How are you doing? Yeah, I was going to say Labor Day and football usually go together, which means we're working and on the clock, but I'd much rather be in that position. So I'm feeling blessed, man. How about you? Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. The last couple weeks, getting back out to high school games has been a lot of fun. The last two weeks, um, we had a a couple stories on our side. Saul Quincy, Kool-Aid McKinstry, um, we've talked about him on here before. Um, You know, just a truly athletic player. And we'll get into him later because I wanted to get into um, SIL American kind of, you know, position rankings or position group rankings, right, like, um, I saw the wide receivers one have been released and defensive backs, and we'll get into those. Alabama commitments everywhere, and then obviously Kool-Aid was an Alabama target um, will we'll be discussed as well. But but first, let's just pick off pick up right where we left off, John. Um, last time we were on here, me and you were kind of like previewing Tim Keenan's uh, decision because he had just released his top five when me and you had talked last, and now he's now he's a member of this class at Alabama, part of this 2021 class. Um, you know, just a, just an outstanding get, right? Like. He wanted to be a part of that lineage from the Birmingham area, like the Duran Fangs, like the Quinn and Williams. So it, it was a really, really great get, man. And, you know, one thing I thought about, John, is, you know, we talked about how the modern defensive tackle, is, like, it, it's not, it doesn't look like Tim Keenan anymore, right? But Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, coaches like that still value that position. That's why he was so highly sought after, right? And I started thinking about it, man, you know, this could also be a kind of, experiment for the new strength coaches at Alabama, right, who, who used to be at IMG. They were at Indiana, Matt Ray and David Ballou. This could be an experiment for them on what they can do with Tim Keenan's body, you know, just down the line and what they can produce. I thought of it like that, too. And then I thought of it, right, he's a run, he's a run stopper, he's a run gapper. And see, talking to his coach, his coach gave me the best quote. He said, if Kirby Smart or Nick Saban thinks he can play defensive line in the modern age, why can't, you know, what, what should we do to question that? So overall, what was kind of your take from from the get and what Tim Keenan's Tim Keenan is bringing to the table? Well, yeah, there's certainly a lot of throwback to his game. There's not a whole lot of pass rushing prowess or you know things that that immediately jump off the tape when it comes to defending the spread. But I think there's 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 like a happy medium here. Yes, the 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 nose guard, the zero tech, the one tech is is a dying breed. No, nobody would. would argue that overall but I also think there's a bit of a misconception with what a spread offense wants to do um you know especially look at Auburn right just look look across the state Auburn's offense is a spread by personnel it is a spread by formation it is a spread by circumstance but it's a power spread they want to spread you out to run the football so I think yes most offenses are pass first most offenses are going to, you know, play with a lot of wide receivers and, and play a vertical game to where you're minimizing space eaters like a Tim Keenan. But right there in the state, you know, and, and you don't have to look much across the SEC with, with Florida. They do a little bit of power spread. Tennessee as well. There's a lot of rush first mentality at times in the SEC. So while the position is dying, much like outside linebacker is dying, much like the fullback is dying, it doesn't mean those guys have zero position in this current football climate, you still need to stop the run because there are a lot of programs. And remember, we're talking Alabama here. So this isn't just preparing for the SEC. This is preparing for 
Ohio State, which always wants to establish the run. This is preparing for other Big Ten schools in that mold. Even if you look at schools way outside the region, you go to the Pac-12, who's the class of the Pac-12 right now? It's Oregon, led by Mario Cristobal. What do they want to do? Win the line of scrimmage. So there's still a lot of blue-blooded national playoff or college football playoff contenders that want to establish the line of scrimmage. So, again, there is still a place for prospects like Tim Keenan over time. Maybe that changes, but there's still a niche there on first and second down. And, and look, you still got short yardage. You still got the goal line. You still got a lot of scenarios where you need a, a lot of beef, for lack of a better term, and Tim certainly provides that. So I do think that there's some upside with this verbal commitment. It's not it's not a, hey, everyone's bashing him, but, but Bama's willing to take him, so he must be good. It's not that simple. There's still a, a lot of programs that want to establish the run, including your arch rival. And, you know, one thing I'm thinking about, you will go look at the numbers, right, from last season, and, you know, you think Alabama will get it fixed this year. But, like, in terms of stopping the run, they were seventh in the SEC last year in stopping the run. Seventh. That's, I mean, that's not Alabama standard, right? And I understand the injuries, too, but, like, so like you hope, right, like, when Tim Keenan gets ready to play, who knows? I mean, maybe he could fill in a role automatically, um, you know, and try to find a spot in the rotation once he gets there as well. Right, and there's, you know – Looking across the line of scrimmage, too, I think there's some flexibility with the interior offensive line prospects we're starting to see at a more, you know, a higher end. You know, there's a, there's, there's a set position that's also shrinking, you know. So you have to also look at the other side of the football when looking at this thing. And like you said, Bama, Bama 7 at stopping the run or really anything on defense within, you know, the SEC is, is really just not good enough. So you know Nick Saban wants to address that. So sometimes you need to throw back. And I think where you can live – with the sort of quote-unquote prospects of yesteryear, I think you do that down the middle. Defensive tackle, Mike linebacker, you could do it with a throwback safety. I think Xavier McKinney was a good example of that. You know, there's still a place for those physical tone setters at every level. And then they've got another one committed in Kendrick Blackshear, where we talk about he's a bit of a throwback. It's not sort of a bad word to say that or a bad phrase to say that there's still a place for those guys, whether you look at your defense internally or you look at the other side of the ball. I think across the board, you can still use a guy like Keenan uh, without having to go to the, hey, you know, Nick Saban wants him, so it must be a good thing. Beyond that, you can still figure it out. One thing is for certain, John, spots are filling up in this class, right? Like, like Alabama is sitting at 20 right now. Uh, you, we think they're going to take 26, 27, around that range. So spots are filling up, and – and, I, you know, I, I think for the most part, they're – I mean, they would love to get a Brian Thomas Jr. on the outside of wide receiver. They would love to add one more offensive lineman. Um, let me go get your take on that real quick before we circle back around the defense. William Parker out of Nashville, he's actually going to announce his decision tomorrow. Um, and, and Alabama and Tennessee are the two schools really fighting for his commitment. Um, Tennessee's kind of the team that, you know, the, the Alabama needs to be out here if, if they want to land his commitment. But, you know, if they don't, you know, is that good – if Alabama doesn't land, is that good news maybe for Amarius Mims on, on October 14th? Uh, because Alabama would still like to add – You more know, Simon. right. You know, it's 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 the number – it's tough right now. There are not a lot of spots available for, for any of these premier programs, including Alabama. And, and what that usually means, if you're going to push at a position, you have to be one – willing to sacrifice another position. So is that is that running back? Is that tight end in this class? You, you need some help in the secondary, even though you got one of the best secondary classes already. You need some corners in, in this class. Do you sacrifice that 
for uh, another offensive lineman or a swing prospect? To me, that answer is no. Now, can you can you sacrifice that for an elite tackle and a left tackle potential like an Amarius Mims? Now, to me, that answer is yes. And that's where you start to say, okay, well, this makes a little bit more sense. So I, I see where you're thinking with with what not landing Parker could mean for Alabama. And I think on principle, it makes a lot of sense. To me, Parker is not a left tackle potential prospect. So you need to forecast him elsewhere, uh, which means if you're Alabama, it, it just might be time to, to say things, but no effect. You know, I, I think the O-line class is rock solid as is. You've got a little bit of interior, a lot of exterior. And that's really where we're – we're seeing a lot more offenses recruit. You know, I, I talked to an SEC coach recently who said, look, I don't even recruit necessarily centers anymore or guards in particular. It's basically guys who have the frame to play tackle, and then when they get to college, they can't, so they slide inside. And then you recruit some centers because obviously you need to, to solidify the middle of your offense. So it's a really different time for offensive line recruiting as well, and to me, uh, with the limited spots available, Parker doesn't seem like he quite fits on that Alabama commitment list, at least positionally from what we know right now. Maybe there's something we don't know, and it's very possible in this day and age, but from a position projection standpoint, I can't see Bama taking another right tackle or possible interior offensive line prospect with the top two tackles in the country already on board and number three coming down the pike here uh, in just over a month in Amarius Smith. Yeah, and, I, and and real quick, just on a Mary, you know, on Mims, you know, things have changed constantly in his recruitment, right? Like, like, and we still think Georgia is is the team to beat here. Um, but you know what? Teams like Tennessee, teams like Auburn, Alabama, they've been in this thing. Do you really? I mean, I, you know, over the course of the, I guess during the whole pandemic, John, when everything's happened in March and and before then, right, when he was able to get on campus to, to some schools, he was able to get to Alabama. Do you think, you know, things have, you know, do you think it's a really, Jordan's got like a trim lead, a small lead? I mean, what what do you think it is? Do you think it's a razor thin? And what's kind of your take, you know, on September, on September 3rd? You know, I I think the the lead is relative. And and to me, especially when you're a kid like Amarius Mims, who's had commitment dates set for earlier times, you're already taking your visits. To me, if this was Georgia's race to lose, like, by far, he'd be committed already. Georgia needs the momentum on the recruiting trail. He's an in-state kid. He's tight with Brock Vandegrift. He took in that sort of unofficial visit weekend that, that Brock and, and some other commitments created. To me, you'd be committed by now. If this was a home run, lock, guarantee kind of thing, you don't keep pushing your verbal commitment back, especially when, theoretically, your top contender – Alabama, and even your secondary contender, Tennessee, has a bunch of old linemen committed already. So it's not like, you know, it's not like you're saying, well, you know, you know, Bama's waiting for me or Tennessee's waiting for me. They'll take you when you're ready. And I think Georgia's in the same boat there. So I think that that lead is, is definitely perceptive. I don't know how big it is. You know, it would be a surprise if he ended up anywhere else overall, but we've seen Bama make moves in this pandemic. We've seen Tennessee have one of the hotter runs during this pandemic. Auburn has always felt solid about the top two uncommitted prospects in Georgia in Mims and Smile Mondon. The feeling is they may clip one of those guys. It could very well be Mims. And Mims talks a lot about playing time. He talks a lot about seeing the field, which certainly doesn't feel great if you're an Alabama fan. Um, but, you know, Tennessee, Auburn, Florida State, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, so 
I think it's a really interesting scenario. Mims has admitted that nobody's recruited him harder than Georgia, whether it's the Knicks or the coaching staff. Uh, so I do think that plays a, a heavy role. But, again, if this thing was done and done months ago, I think he'd be a bulldog commitment. He's not a spotlight kid. He's not a me kid who's, who's out here going crazy on social media or anything like that. Everything that I hear with the kid is that he's fairly reserved, focused on, on getting healthy, which he has, and, and reshaping his body and then making a verbal commitment. So to me, it says that all bets are, are not necessarily off, and this thing could still go either way. Let's circle back to defensive line. I want to hit on a couple of targets um, that, you know, and just how you think Alabama needs to finish this cycle, really. Um, you know, I mean, you know, going into the home stretch where early signing days, and we don't even know, heck, I mean, the early signing period, things get altered. We have no idea if even kids are going to get on campus this semester. We hope they do. Um, and I think the NCAA needs to make the right decision and allow them, you know, starting at the end of this month. But, but who knows? So first, John, I saw, I saw something on SL American site, saw an article, um, on kind of the top five uncommitted prospects, um, in the SI 99. And one of those guys was, was up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to butcher his name here, but JP Kumaloa. Did, did I say that right? You were right there. Okay, I, I was right there. Uh, but, no, he's a guy that I think, you know, quietly, quietly Alabama is kind of creeping into the conversation on the, um, on, you know, his defensive end. Um, you know, Alabama's creeping in the conversation there. Now, um, you know, there's some obviously some West Coast schools in the mix there too. Um, and I look at also staying on the defensive line, you know, Shamar Turner as well from Texas. And then another guy from Texas, um, who just moved back to Texas, um, Toomey Adelaide. Um, you know, he was at IMG. And so, you know, I guess, John, if, if we look at all three of those guys and we look at Alabama's chances, all three, who do you think Alabama's chances are, are the best with those guys? Uh, it's probably Turner. But, you know, I think you can legitimately make the argument that Alabama's running first or second for Toomey. And uh, I think, you know, with, with how – Tui Molo Al has handled his recruitment, man, it's pretty much all speculation at this point. You know, Washington, Ohio State, Alabama all have reason to feel pretty good, but we have no indication that he's making a decision anytime soon. Uh, so I think that one could be really interesting. We know Bama likes to sort of one splash for the end. Maybe he is that splash player, and, and he's the best of the bunch. Let's, let's make that clear. He is our number two overall prospect in the SI99 and the number one edge prospect in the country. So we're, we're really high on Tui Molo Al, um, but, but he's kept things, like you said, really close to the best. Quietly, like you described, Tyler, is, is about as well as you could, could sort of characterize how he's handled pretty much everything since his freshman year, which, which he's already, you know, reeling in offers at that point. I think Florida is chief competition for Tunisia Adelai. Uh, he is, you know, already said he wants to make a signing day decision. So you could, again, talk about a number scenario here and Florida's in the same boat as Alabama here and that, that may be his top two I think A&M's in the mix as well as, as is Ohio State if, if they circle back around you know how does that number situation work out for Alabama if there's one spot left and both Tui Molo-Al and, and Adelai want to jump in what do you do with that you know it, it's really going to be fascinating for Bama and what I used to tell Bama fans Tyler when there's position groups that are condensed like that and all three prospects, including Turner, are good. I used to say, look, man, we may not know exactly which prospect, but either one of the three would really complement the front seven class that Alabama has put together. I think Turner is the closest to a decision. 
I think Tunisia is the furthest, at least from what he said publicly. So I do think that it's, there's an interesting sort of stagger there in how these next few months could play out. I do think most of these prospects are trying to graduate in December and enroll in January. So we'll know here in the next couple of months. Uh, but but I wouldn't count on visits factoring in, Tyler. Like you said, the NCAA is, has been pretty quiet lately. The dead period is currently set to end September 30th, but there's really not anybody I've talked to who expects this thing to open up this fall. Uh, because, one, you know, how do you how do you tell a Big Ten school, hey, you're not playing football, but you can go ahead and host visits? You know, it just it just sort of doesn't add up. You know, I think I think you want to align everything and give everyone a theoretical fair shot. And I don't know if visits will do that this fall, given the the different you know COVID impact in, in different regions and different states and all of those things. But but like I said, Tyler, the good news is if you're a Bama fan, this this defensive line edge class is going to finish on very much a high note, regardless of which one you get. Because, you know, you'd never expect Alabama to strike out at any position. I mean, look at quarterback. It looked – a month ago, it looked pretty bleak. You know, who are you going to flip? Maybe it was Luke Altmaier, maybe Jalen Milrow, but he didn't really give a lot of public indication of that. Uh, but, but lo and behold, it, it happened in Alabama's favor. So, Bama doesn't strike out very often. Uh, so, I'm really curious to see how that position group ends. But either way, it is an elite group. It'll be ranked highly when we get to that position group in terms of – the halls that, that Alabama and others have put together. Uh, so I think it's a really good situation. Yeah, you, you know, and it doesn't appear there's going to be a lot of drama leading up to, to signing day for Alabama, right? Like, it's all about how they finish up the defensive ends and then to defensive backs. Because you already had Alabama in one of your top position groups already for, for defensive backs, right? And so the one guy that they're really waiting to see on, we talked about him earlier, and that, that's Quincy Kool-Aid McKinstry. And I know you mentioned him, John, on uh, – it was either you or Edwin who um, was talking about prospects you want to see up close and personal this year. And um, just, just being at uh, Gopinski's game, it, it's really – you know, it is really cool and fascinating to see a recruitment that's an Iron Bowl battle, right, in the state of Alabama. You know, that, you know the state very well, John. And so just the last two weeks getting to see him play, man, you know, you hear the War Eagles, you hear the Roll Tides, you know, you, and you hear the Go Tigers a little bit too. Um, but uh, both schools, you know, doing a really great job recruiting – um, Kool-Aid. And one thing that I'm kind of torn on, John, I want to get your opinion on this because people who are listening to this, they're kind of torn on it as well. When you, like, right now, like, Patrick Nixon, he was at Pinson. He had Kool-Aid as a wide receiver, too. And you talk to him, he'd be like, yeah, when, when when we feel like there's a big threat that the other team has on the outside, we'll throw Kool-Aid on there. But, like, he's a primarily wide receiver for us. And that's how Sam Shade is using him as well. Like, you know, last week, and, and, and I'll be it, you know, like, Shade Valley didn't have much talent on the outside. Um, but when they did have success, it was cool. It was, hey, I'm going to lock down and take down half of the field. But when he was on offense, John, I'm, I'm starting to get the feel that, he, that, man, he can make it as a wide receiver on the next level. Yeah, there's never been a doubt about his athleticism. I and mean, heck, he's a, he's a legitimate combo guard who has SEC and, and big-time offers in basketball, and obviously he wants to play hoops uh, at the next level. But I think – you know, when it comes to receiver DB, he can play receiver. He's more comfortable as a receiver. He is more polished today as a wide receiver. But I think when you talk about the projection business, which is where we all live and breathe right now and, and where Nick Saban has made his, his proverbial money, you've you got to go for the ceiling. What What is the best position for Kool-Aid to make the biggest impact and, and for himself to, you know, maybe one day make the most money? And I think – that's defensive back. It's cornerback. Um, and I think that's what that's what made evaluation so hard. And that's why for that feature we did, we said, hey, you know, he's one of the ten guys 
we want to see the most because he's got all of this raw torque and athleticism and twitch and ball skills and length, all these things that you, you have to have if you're going to play corner for, for any of the schools that Kool-Aid is, is still looking at. But, man, we just hadn't seen a whole lot of him playing the position at a high level. We've seen splashes, like you said, here and there. They'll throw him on the best receiver and, and not think about it. And why not, right? I would do the same thing. But we hadn't seen it consistently at a high level, and that's really what we want to see as evaluators. And I think that's what makes it so hard uh, to, to rank a guy like Kool-Aid. You know, he <laughs> – he sent me a message when our SI-99 came out. He said, man, I can't believe you think 40-something players are better than me. And I said, look, we need to see more of you at corner. We've seen you as, a, as an athlete since you were a freshman, sure. But we need to see more of you as a corner. You know, we, we've got a job to do here. So I think that's really the question mark with Kool-Aid. Just, it's just as wide open as his recruitment seems to be. You know, where is he going to play and, and how ready is he to play that cornerback position at that level? I just I don't know yet. But it's it's certainly intriguing enough for for every school in the SEC, including Alabama. So I'm really curious to see him in action here soon, uh, or see how he's progressed as a defensive back. But there's no doubt, Tyler, that he can actually make it as a receiver. And Bama's looking at another receiver, right? You know that they have the spot for that potentially. So that could be a, a happy medium as well. Yeah, and, and, and all the reasons you listen, gentlemen, is exactly why Nick Saban has kind of personally taken over this recruitment. Um, the the last two times I've talked to Kool-Aid now, it's been, hey, when did you talk to Saban? Oh, just yesterday. Oh, you know, like a couple days ago. Nick Saban is keeping close, close tabs on Kool-Aid. And, you know, I, I kind of get the feel, too, that's like, you know, I, that's why I think I, right now I think Auburn's in the front running for him. But I, I just think, too, like, Kool-Aid, you, you, you go to Alabama, right, like in this class, and you want to play wide receiver, but they they want you as the defensive back, obviously first. Like you look at who's coming, you're, who you're coming in with, right? You're looking at Jacory, looking at Ajay, you're looking at Christian Leary. I mean, I, I don't think Quincy is better than those guys, right? Like, and I don't think he's better than, um, you know, maybe maybe a Javon Baker at their respective positions either. So he's he he would have to fight a lot, you know, if if Alabama was saying, hey, we want you to play receiver, right? And I think Auburn allows him, you know, they they have the opportunity. And kind of the leverage to say, hey, you know, we have a position on for you where we can we can incorporate you in the offense, right? And that's where I kind of think they have the edge a little bit because they've been pushing that more on him. Um, but it's going to be fascinating. And the longer it goes out, the longer this goes, John, it, it's going to be good news for Alabama, I think, um, the, the longer it holds up. Because there was a rumor uh, two weeks ago he was going to pop to Auburn on, on, on game night, and, and he didn't. And he kind of shut down, shut down those rumors after the game, but – you know, one uh, the game we'll be covering on Bama Central Friday night, Tim Keenan's game, going to get his first look after, you know, he announces he's publicly admitted to Alabama. But the game, you know, Kool-Aid's got a matchup against uh, – uh, they've lined up a receiver. He's got a matchup against Gardendale, a guy Justin Parks who's going to Arkansas State. I don't know how much of his game you've watched, John. But um, but that's, he's an underrated player. He's one of the better players, I think, in the state of Alabama who's getting under, under-recruited. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be a tough matchup for Kool-Aid. And, uh, you know, we'll probably have highlights up with that and stuff and everything. But, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating. Like I said, the longer this, longer this holds out, I think the better for Alabama. Yeah, you're probably right. There's no doubt that there's more familiarity with Auburn, there's comfort, there's more ties, all of those things. Um, so the longer, the better for Bama, regardless of, of Kool-Aid's position. And, and yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to see how, how Justin Parks handles it. Kool-Aid's not known for his top-end speed. And neither is Justin Parks. He's, a, he's bigger and longer then Kool-Aid, uh, I actually saw him at the, the last camp I think I went to before COVID hit. Uh, my, my guy, Dexter Tolbert, had the Dex Preps camp in Birmingham, and 
Justin Parks was, you know, one of the top two DBs there, along with Traquan Fagans, who's an elite kid in 2022, another raw, long cornerback. But, but I think Parks has a little bit more physicality than Kool-Aid. I think he's, um, he's willing to, to combat him at the line of scrimmage more. So that, that should be a fun matchup. Like you said, Arkansas State commitment, we can certainly see some power five upside with Parks. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. And, and I think he's got a safety floor, worst-case scenario, because of that great length and competitive and physical nature. Um, Keenan will be interesting tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to your report on that. And I'm actually going to see a pretty big Alabama target, too. I'll be seeing uh, Terry and Arnold. Friday evening uh, playing, making his senior season debut. So really curious. He's another guy who's this raw basketball bouncy kind of prospect who does so many things so well. So really curious to see him in DB drills. How does he backpedal? All the little things that can sometimes be the difference between seeing the field as a freshman or, or waiting two or three years. So I'm really curious to see how this weekend goes in general. And honestly, man, I'm just, I'm just glad to be headed to, to my first football game of the fall. Yeah, it, 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 he's, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's like Kool-Aid, just super athletic. And for him, just, you know, speaking on his recruitment, um, he released the top 11. Um, you know, he kind of made some little drama up, and maybe we thought he was going to cut it down even more. But it's 11 schools. Um, and it seemed like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, those are the three. Probably, I mean, I'd go on record and say those are the three top schools right there, in my opinion. Um, I'm with Georgia, you. Florida, and Alabama. And, um and, and, you know, for him, right, like when Alabama got Kadarius Callaway, that's where I was kind of thinking maybe that could hurt Terry Arnold's chances of coming just because they, they want Callaway at the safety position as well. And then you think about it too, right, Brian Branch, they just got Brian Branch, they just got Malachi Moore. Um, and so maybe there's not maybe the, the, the playing as quick to get on the field as you might think and for Terry Arnold at Alabama. But it's a guy Alabama's been after, you know, for months now, since the beginning of this year. So that's going to be fascinating to watch too. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just a rumor still, but I know him and Xavier Sorry has has you know they've been wanting to play together to the next level. Now the talk, you know, Alabama Xavier Sorry, kind of you know the talk there, the buzz has kind of gone down a little bit. It'll be interesting to see if that picks back up, you know, throughout his senior season as well. Um, but John, you know, kind of the as we end the conversation, man, just the whole back and forth right now with the fans is can we can we be can we you know can we be better than Ohio State's class? And it's it's right now it's nip and tuck, and I know you guys are going to release your team rankings really soon. Um, but th- before you answer that, answer me this: If the Big Ten doesn't play football, how do you think SEC programs? Do you? I mean, how much do you think that helps in recruiting? Do you think it helps at all? I mean, what's kind of the gauge there, just from a recruiting analyst position? I was thinking about that, right? Like, if the Big Ten recruit maybe using Big Ten countries. You know, and he's kind of on the fence. Maybe he's got an SEC school. If that, if the SEC plays a full game, a full ten game schedule, don't you think they're going to lean more to the SEC because they're saying, "Hey, the players wanted to play, and we listen to them." Yeah, you know, the the slogan of the SEC gets increased value if if they play and 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 nobody else does, or the big the Big Ten certainly doesn't. Uh, you know, it just means more, right? You know, and, and you can interpret that in a lot of ways, and you can certainly interpret it negatively from a different perspective, but, you know, from a teenager's perspective who wants to play, and we know most of these players want to play. And, and look, even even for those teams and conferences that are playing, you can still opt out, right? So there's still a lot of that happening, just ask LSU. So it doesn't mean you're forcing you to play. It just means if you if you make a, a, an educated and mature decision and say, hey, I'm going to play, you have that opportunity. You know, so that benefit of the doubt will play on the recruiting trail in my mind. I think it's really important perceptionally for the kids and their parents. 
you know, it, it really works both ways, but I think it works on the high end of it when you're talking about parents who want their, their kids to be mature. Remember, the, the base thought of going to college conventionally, Tyler, is, you know, hey, I'm going to go to college, I'm a man, I'm going to grow up, right, from these players' perspective. So giving them that, that power, that responsibility, I think is part of it. You know, and I, I think that's what a lot of certainly Big Ten athletes and, and maybe some Pac-12, although they're not as vocal, I think that's all they want. They want the opportunity to make their own decision and, and not having that is, has been really tough to see, you know, from a, you know, just from a football purity standpoint. You know, you want these kids to chase their dreams, and obviously the more tape you have, the better your chances are to, to show somebody what you really got. So, Alabama, and, and I don't know when you guys are going to release your, your team rankings, but, you know, do they need to get, you know, maybe maybe Tumas, maybe Turner as well? Do they need to get Kool-Aid to, 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 be, to surpass Ohio State in your eyes? Because when Ohio State got Tyreek Williams, I think they kind of went up a little bit, um, maybe one notch above Alabama. But, I mean, you know, how, how do you think – what would be like, I guess, the, what would you be like the, the baseline for Alabama to pass Ohio State? Well, here's, here's the thing, you know, and this is what is going to make people love or hate us at SIL American, and I'm totally on board for that. I mean, I'm a Cuban guy who made his living in Alabama on the football field. So we are going to have totally subjective team recruiting rankings the same way our player rankings are subjective. And that might sound crazy, but to us it's so logical and so simple. So what do we weigh with prospects, right? First of all, it's a college projection. So your star power, your SI-99 members are going to weigh heavily in that decision. Right now it's 10 for Ohio State, 8 for Alabama. Obviously both programs are chasing multiple SI-99 guys, so that is certainly still up in the air both now and going into the future. Two, premium positions, Tyler. You know, yeah, you know, Ty Johnson's a good player, or Williams, I'm sorry, Tyreek Williams is a good player. Uh, but but is he is he enough to swing one program over the other head to head? For us, it's probably not that simple. You know, we want to go premium position. How did the quarterbacks measure up? Bama versus Ohio State. How do the top position groups measure up? How do the corners measure up? Edge rushers, left tackles. Those are the premium and priority positions that we focus a lot of our rankings on. Look at our top five. Every prospect in that top five, Tyler, is either a quarterback or somebody who directly affects the quarterback, meaning left tackle, pass rushers, right? So we're going to weigh those things in our recruiting rankings. And then the final piece, which is really where our homework will shine through the most and and what I think uh, readers and users will understand the most is how is this recruiting class complementing your roster? I think that is such a lazy take in this industry. We don't even look at that, right, before us. That's not even a conversation point. It's, a, it's an algorithm. It's a mathematical equation and, and a formula. So, yeah, you can have all the five stars in the world, but if you have three five-star running backs, give me the class that has three five-star defensive ends over the three running backs, right? I mean, to me, we have so much information and technology and, and honestly, time right now because, because of COVID Let's take a closer look. Let's dig a little bit deeper, just like we did with our rankings and our player evaluations. Let's dig a little bit deeper and look at the team needs and how they're being addressed in recruiting. And that is how we loop in all of our great team sites, like you guys at Bama Central, et cetera. Hey, you tell me how Bama's addressing this team beyond what I can see, right? Now it's a, not only is it a team effort, but it's totally subjective, and it makes sense. When you grade an NFL draft and a lot of these – outlets use the NFL as a model, you're not just grading who got the best players. 
you're grading who can make that instant impact because of the position, because of the depth chart, because you have an impending free agent or, or something like that or a franchise player. Why don't we do that in recruiting? We're going to do that. We're going to, we're going to go public with that here in the next week or so. And, and let me tell you, that battle between OSU and Bama is razor thin whether you go algorithm or you go human, which is what we're doing. We're human, so we're going to lay on that human side of the equation. No matter how you slice it, it's really close. I'd take Ohio State's quarterback over Milrow. I would take Alabama's offensive line over Ohio State's. I would take Ohio State's secondary today over Alabama's. We'll see. Kool-Aid, maybe he swings that. And, again, premium position. Hello. You know, it's, it's sometimes you want to get to the nitty-gritty, and then how are these two programs – complimenting their their depth you know yeah Kyle McCord is a better quarterback than Jalen Milrow we think today but who's closer to QB1 status you know it, it might be Kyle you know based on Justin Fields so there's there's so many little different odds and ends that you can really build the argument around but we really want to take a subjective approach because that's what we do with prospect rankings anyway so why, why would we switch it up and, and go all Know, mathematical on you for, for the team rankings. It's just not my style. Um, I went to school to write, not to do math, right? So uh, let's let's play that into everything we do at SI All American, and we think it'll be a different product, but we think it'll be unique uh, and 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 as as involved in terms of coast to coast input uh, as as any outlet out there. We we put our numbers against theirs. Well, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of SI All American, and you know it's been a pretty good pretty pretty good freaking year so far, man. And I know we're we're anticipating these rankings. Um, when we're you know share them on uh, Twitter, Facebook, get some stories up. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And I'm gonna leave you with this last question, John. I I, I was thinking I wrote this down before we, we started talking. Um, when you go back to Alabama's commitment and football, we just talked about earlier. Football season started. You're going to your your first game of the season tomorrow night. Um, I'll be at Tim Keen's game. And one player who I'm very excited to get to this season is Ian Jackson, Prattville, um, in, uh, Prattville inside linebacker. And I, one game, I don't know if I'm going to see him this year because he's so far away from me down in Mobile, but that's Deontay Lawson. So I have a question for you, John. Who do you think has a higher ceiling um, in their college career? Is it Deontay Lawson or is it Ian Jackson? Because I've watched tape from their, both of them. They I mean, Deontay Lawson had his first game last Friday against USM Wright, a powerhouse down in, in, on the coast. And he had a phenomenal game, right? They, I mean, as the defensive end, had a couple sacks. And then offense, he carried the ball for like 75 yards, had a couple touchdowns, had the game winning two-point conversion. But on defense, he forced, right? Double-digit tackles. I mentioned a couple sacks. And then Ian Jackson, he's just like a heat-seeking missile, man. The, wherever the ball is, Ian Jackson going to be right there, too. If, if it's in the middle of the field, if he's getting in the backfield for tackles for loss, I really like both these players. And they're two guys who got on with Alabama kind of early on in the process especially Deontay, got to give him a lot of credit for being the first, well, the first guy to, you know, who he was number one in that class for a while now. Um, but, you know, who do you think has a higher ceiling? Maybe that's the wrong question, but I would these two players, and I'm just like, man, like, these are some gems, right? Like, these are some diamonds in the rough. No doubt. And both of them, what I love about these guys, and whenever I talk about defensive prospects, one of the first things I ask myself, I have my little – sort of position parameters handbook that I, that I refer to when I'm, you know, when I need a little bit of help, can, can he do more than one thing? Is there multiple dimensions where he can aid your defense? And I think with both of these guys, the answer has been yes. And, and it's not a really a hard sell to explain why. They just changed positions, both of them, as juniors. Deontay Lawson went from an edge rusher, a very good one, by the way, speed rusher with good bend, 
to an inside linebacker where he is now the captain of the defense patrolling the second level and making plays versus the run and the pass beyond as a pass rusher. Ian Jackson came up as a safety, a true second, third level hybrid who is now moving to that second level just like Deontay has uh, and have a little bit more of that three-down responsibility. But you know when, when it comes to coverage, he's that much more ahead of the curve because he, he came up as a defensive back. So I think both of these guys offer multidimensional assets to your defense immediately. And for me, that is a lot when we're talking about defensive prospects. If you're a corner, can you play nickel? Can you play a little bit of safety? If you're a defensive lineman, can you rush from the outside or the inside? Can you pressure the passer from the inside? And for these guys, can you occupy a hybrid role at that level, at the SEC level? And I think for both, the answer is yes. We've seen Alabama utilize pass rushing linebackers since the moment Nick Saban arrived. I mean, uh, C.J. Mosley was really great at it. Rashawn Evans might have been the best one. On third down, sometimes those guys are ready to rock as pass rushers. So I could see that for Deontay Lawson. With Jackson, you need a dime linebacker. You need guys who can replace your bigger Kendrick Blackier-type linebackers on third and long because they're going to occupy either an underneath zone spy on an athletic quarterback or cover a running back or tight end or slot receiver one-on-one sometimes. Can Ian Jackson handle that at the SEC level? The indication right now is yes. So I do think that provides a little bit more flexibility when you project towards the next level, but you always need pass rushers. And I think Deontay's progression as a true linebacker has been one of the best things, you know, on this Alabama commitment list over the last 12 months. You know, six, 12 months ago, Tyler, I would have said he's an occasional pass rusher who maybe down the road can help you as a linebacker, but I'm starting to change my tune on that. I think he can come in as a linebacker. He's filled out a little bit. He's not this wiry prospect he was, and I think now he can help you maybe year one, year two, which is such a different conversation, especially at that position, which we know has been so good to Bama for so long. I mean, Dylan Moses, you know, I mean, all the names just rattle off there from the Mike linebacker position. So I do think that the floor might be better with Deontay because I do think he's a little bit more physically prepared than, than I thought, but I think the ceiling might be higher with Ian and that he could actually help you as a true dime linebacker. And he also has this frame to play in sub packages as a run defender as well. Like he said, he's a heat seeking missile. He's a better downhill prospect today than Deontay Lawson in my mind, but both guys, the arrow is, is trending up in terms of our perception of them because they settled into their new position playing high school ball at a high level in the state of Alabama, and it's really fun to watch. I can't wait to see the senior campaigns these guys put together. Yeah, and the number of tackles Deontay had last Friday against USM Wright, 24. 24 tackles. Just just insane, right? And I wanted to bring up those two guys just because we talk about a lot of big-name national guys, and I wanted to show some some love to to some inside guys, right? Like, those are guys that Alabama valued really highly, and um, they're going to be good players. Whenever they arrive in Tuscaloosa, they're going to be really darn good players. And, um, and you know, it's, it's, it's fun, right? Alabama high school football, I know you're down in the state of Florida, John, and you've experienced it in Alabama, um, in the south, right, just in general. Um, it's, high school football, it's a little different, man. It, you, can, you can feel it. And, these get, I mean, they're just built different, right? They're built different in Florida. They're built different in Georgia. They're built different in Alabama. So it's, it's, so it's nice to talk about those two guys. Yeah, no doubt. No, I'll be up in Bama. There's, I got so much love for the state that I will be back up and, and checking out some some top prospects in, in 21. And, and honestly, 22-23 is, is getting pretty loaded in that state. Uh, I'll be in Georgia as well. You know, that's kind of my triangle, my southern football triangle. Um, really looking forward to, to getting out on the road in some of these places. And, uh, 
yeah, it's, it's it's different in the South. These guys are just built a little bit differently, and that's why, you know, look up in the rankings, and, and those are the guys that are that are swaying recruiting classes and, and making headway. So, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing, you know, Terry Arnold, and, and next week I might head up to Georgia to see Jake Garcia, the USC quarterback commitment, and, and then in the state of Alabama, gosh, I need to see Kool-Aid. I need to see, uh, you know, Trent Battle, the quarterback headed to TCU from down in, in Daphne. There's so many top prospects in Alabama that we do need to, to get some fresh eye on. Jackson Meeks, hello. I mean, he's the hottest kid in the state right now, 2021. Uh, Georgia Ole Miss in the last week or so added to his offer list, and he's a senior, you know. So there's still room for prospects to emerge when they have the opportunity to play football, and thankfully these three states are still on board with that. Definitely. John, we're smarter when we listen to you, and I just, I just appreciate, you know, just your insight, your perspective, and, uh, you know, always appreciate our conversations on here, man. And I know these are these are some of our most listened to podcasts when you get on here. So um, it's, it's really cool, the insight, and like I said, just the, you know, the, just the kind of, you know, perspective you give us. Um, it's really good, and we can't wait. We can't wait to see the team ranking. And I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to, you know, the SI 99 rankings, rankings, and then the narrowing down of the SI American too. Um, who's it going to be? Who's going to be that last guy standing of about a thousand prospects? So it's going to be a lot of fun, and we really do appreciate you coming on here. A lot of work to be done, my friend, but we're looking forward to it. And uh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be on with you.